0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode five of The Pod. I'm Justin Siegel, and with me as always, Rob Leifer. All right. It's a crazy world out there. And uh, even in the midst of all this craziness, we've been really enjoying our time with you guys a great deal, and we consider ourselves really lucky that we get to do this podcast. We've had some feedback, and we wanted to address some of it here, as we promised we would always do. We said we'd listen to you guys, and we talk about it on air. We're going to continue to have this spot at the top of the podcast, and we're going to call it Honest Abe's. Housekeeping Hangout. So, welcome to Honest Abe's Housekeeping Hangout.
1: When he growed up, this tiny babe, folks all called him Honest Abe. Abraham,
0: Abraham. So, the feedback that we got surrounds the amount of time we agree or disagree with each other on the pod. As I'm sure you've realized by now, even though we sit on either side of the aisle, you aren't always going to hear us disagree. And that's a good thing for a number of reasons. The first of which is that Neither Rob or I are going to go against our personal convictions just to create conflict for entertainment's sake. We're just not going to do it. You can get that anywhere else. We want to focus on the facts of an issue, which may be partisan, and we want to draw a common sense conclusion based on those facts in a non- or bipartisan fashion when possible. As I mentioned before on the pod, our personal ideologies and worldviews put us just to the left and right of the aisle generally, but we may well be in different places on different issues. We're about reason, we're about moderation, and level-headedness above partisanship. We both think this is the only way to make a real difference in our country, and that's what we're out to make, a real difference. We're gonna work hard to expand our podcast, create more content and media for you guys, and as we do that, we will continue to pledge to you to keep that balance and those ideals that we started this enterprise with to begin with.
2: Right, so basically, don't get mad at us if we agree too much, it's fine, it's, it's good to agree. That's the whole point here, we're supposed to, uh... We're supposed to come to a conclusion that's somewhere in the middle. I like that format. So I know a lot of people had sort of been looking for our perspective from either the right and the left and sort of looking for how we got to where we, we, we eventually came to. But there's going to be times where we just flat out agree and no explanation is needed other than that. Uh, in this particular episode, this is episode five, by the way, episode five we are going to tackle a subject that I believe Jay and I, because we've known each other a long time, largely agree on. Uh, there might be some discourse, some things we disagree on, but I think we largely agree on this. And again, this is an episode that is culturally relevant to the moment we're in right now. Um, we're not talking about ideology outside of what's going on right now, which we will. We'll get to some of that stuff later on in our pod. So we have a great show for you this week. Um, in addition to everything we're going to talk about at the end of this uh, show we have an incredible interview with one of our friends cat Braithwaite. she is a uh, singer in a metal band in la and she also happens to be black it will be a significant interview and i think it will fit in very well with our podcast we're going to be asking her about white wokeness and a few other things
0: so tune into that at the end of this pod for now we can move on and uh, take it from here right jay that sounds great uh riz i know you have a lot prepared about our subject today, why don't you take it?
2: Okay, got a lot to get to today. The uh, The subject matter at hand today is sort of the rise of white wokeness. Uh, we're gonna call this episode a lot less wokeness, please. The rise of white wokeness, especially in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder and everything that ensued, the riots and everything else. Now, for some of you boomers out there, you might be wondering, what does the word woke mean? You know, some people don't know what that means. According to Wikipedia, the definition of woke, air quotes, woke, is woke as a political term of African-American origin refers to a perceived awareness of issues concerning social justice and racial justice. It is derived from the African-American vernacular English expression, stay woke, whose grammatical aspect refers to a continuing awareness of these issues. Now, What that's basically saying is wokeness is sort of the idea that you're in the know and the rest of society isn't. And there's all sorts of wokeness that we don't even call wokeness. Like there's 9 11 truthers, for instance, that think they're woke. It's basically when your opinions don't fit in with what the general status quo is. So it's sort of a cool, hip term to describe someone who fits into that category. What I see wokeness as can be summed up in a very succinct sentence. I believe that the woke left seeks to blame every single inequality in life on some kind of inequity. I'll say that again. The woke left seeks to blame every single inequality in life on some kind of inequity.
0: Uh, Hey, Riz. Yeah. What's the difference between an inequality and an inequity? You know, it's funny you should ask, Jay, because I was just
2: going to go over that. The difference between an inequality and an inequity is an inequality is simply just an imbalance. If your next door neighbor has more money than you, that's an inequality. An inequity is an imbalance that's due to some type of unfairness. So if your next door neighbor has more money than you because he's stealing your money, that's an inequity. So the woke left sees everything. Through the lens of every inequality in the world is due to an inequity rather than the fact that some inequalities in life are just due to poor life choices. So, let me give you an example. If a woman who works for a company makes less money than her male counterpart, who perhaps does the same job as she does, to the woke left, that inequality could not possibly be due to the fact that maybe the man works longer hours. Maybe the man is a better worker. Maybe the man simply negotiated his salary better than she did. To the woke left, that inequality is always due to an inequity that exists in their mind between men and women, and that women are oppressed in some way, and that is the reason that the inequality exists. In other words, there's no other factor that is contributing there. The woke left has sort of what I call an an inequity hierarchy list. And that hierarchy list contains groups that they see as having been the most exploited by sort of the Western system, air quotes, if you will. That list consists of African-Americans, Hispanics, Muslims, American Indians, the entire LGBTQ community, and of course, women. The group that ends up being on the top of that list changes throughout our news cycle. So right now, and rightfully so, in the wake of the George Floyd murder, and note that I did say murder, I want to stress that, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and everything that's gone on since, African-Americans are at the very, very top of that list. They are seen, again, as being the most exploited by the Western system. But two months from now, when this story fades, as it always does, there might be a new thing that crops up. Well, I'll
0: tell you what happens when Thanksgiving comes around.
2: Exactly. Even beyond that, maybe ICE has uh, a new controversy or Donald Trump is stoking the flames of anti-immigration. And then all of a sudden, Hispanics go to the top of the list. A couple weeks later, we might hear that a female sports team makes less than the male sports team in the same sport. And all of a sudden, women go to the top. Women are the most exposed. And that's another perfect example. To the woke left, you take something like women's soccer. Women's soccer has less than a quarter of the audience of male soccer. And yet women in the profession of soccer make less money than men. To the woke left, it couldn't possibly be due to the fact that the audience is less. It has to be due to an inequity. It has to be due to the fact that they're inherently women and women have had to, you know, bow down to men all these years and blah, blah, blah. That's just the, the, the way the woke left sees the world. The list changes Again, like I said, month to month based on what's in the news cycle. There is one group that is never on the list, never, ever, ever on the list. And that, of course, is by design, and it's obvious, it's white men. White men will never be on the list. Now, why? White men will never be on the list because white men are seen as sort of the benefactors of the Western capitalist system, the ultimate benefactors.
0: I think old white men, there's such a thing on the woke left as ageism. Young white men may be saying, I don't get a fair shake. And it's the old white men that you really see as the stereotype of this thing that everyone is railing against. You actually might be correct. I've never thought of that. Generally, though, white
2: men in particular are seen as, as again, the benefactors of this capitalist society that we live in. And I'm talking about throughout the entire West, not just in America.
0: Is it the boat shoes? What is it exactly?
2: <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I guess... yeah. Uh, it... I think it's just the fact that white people are seen as just being as using every other group to their advantage. That seems to be just the uh, the general consensus among the woke left.
0: Do you think it's because that's who founded the country? And so they were they've been in a position of power literally from day one of America.
2: I think it's seen by the woke left that the entire system, and when I use the word system, I mean the Western system, the way our society operates, the hierarchy in society was invented for white people by white people, and that they weren't thinking of anyone else. They weren't thinking of women. They weren't thinking of the LGBTQ community, of course. They weren't thinking of Muslims. Everyone else has been sort of exploited by the white people who created the system in the first place. The irony is this, (laughs) there are actually per capita, if you take the groups as a whole, there are more white people in America who collect a welfare check than black people. That is statistically true. White people per capita are poorer than black people are. However, according to the woke left, because again, they're seen as the benefactors of this system, when a white person is not successful, it's never seen as an inequity. It is always seen as a life choice. So maybe that person is stupid, or maybe they're lazy, or maybe they just didn't care. Because according to the woke left, they were given every advantage in life, and somehow they still messed it up. So it's not an inequity. It's totally their fault. There are two other groups that end up on the list very, very rarely. And again, the list is the inequity hierarchy list. Those groups are Jews. And Asians. Now, Jay, why do you think that might be? Um, let's see.
0: Because they make a lot of money. Ding ding ding.
2: <laughs> what well, we got from Donnie? Jews and Asians, generally in Western society, have been very successful.
0: By the way, Jews have been persecuted for that.
2: Yes, Jews and Asians have. But in America, I don't know if you know this. This is an interesting t- statistic. Uh, Asian men make more money than any other demographic in the country. While the woke left will be very sensitive towards anti-Semitism or anti-Asian racism, they want to be sensitive towards those things. They also sort of see the Jewish population and the Asian population in the same way they see white men, where they're sort of the benefactors of this capitalist society this system, this Western system that has been so exploitative. And therefore, they don't very often make the list. Sometimes, sometimes Jews end up on the list, like if there's a lot of anti-Semitism going on in a particular time, or if it's like you know, someone shoots up a synagogue, then Jews will appear on the list for like a couple of days. It doesn't last very long. It's like one new it's one news cycle and you're out. Exactly. It doesn't last long. People again, people understand they need to be sensitive towards towards anti-Semitism, but ultimately. They see the woke left, at least,
0: will see it as the same in the same category as white men. It's also very entangled in BDS and the Palestinian thing. And like, there, there's a lot of that is entangled in the left. And so I think it, it gets sort of diluted in, in, in all that. You actually just almost took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that this touches on
2: something we we talked about with Ambassador Siegel a couple of weeks ago, which was we were talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And we were talking about to your average leftists, they are prompted almost instinctively to be more sensitive to Islamophobia than they are towards anti-Semitism, my belief is that the reason for that is mostly economical. To your average person on the left, they're always going to have more sensitivity to Islamophobia than they are towards anti-Semitism. That's just sort of the way it works. Here's the truth. Okay, let's get down to the to the nitty gritty here, as they say. Jay, a lot of inequalities that exist are not due to inequities and are instead due to a combination of some inequities and also personal life choices. And some inequalities are actually just due to personal life choices. Here's an example, though. People are often shocked when you cite this statistic. If you have a baby out of wedlock in the United States, and this is according to the Urban Institute, you can look it up right now, you are 60% more likely to live in poverty. 60% 60% more likely if you have a baby out of wedlock. It is the number one determining factor of poverty is having a baby out of wedlock. That is a life choice. I'm sorry. That's a life choice. Your choice to have a kid out of wedlock is not necessarily due to an inequity, it is due to a life choice. That's a perfect example of how there could be a combination of inequities and life choices that could be affecting a community. Other inequalities that exist that are not due to inequities. Jay and I we both went to music school, as we mentioned in episode one. We made a conscious decision to go to music school, you know, probably when we were what, 16, 17 years old. And even though we were young, we sort of knew what we were getting into. And that is that outside of the 0.01% of people who go to art school in general that make it, the vast majority don't. And it's not just music, it's any art. If you, my wife went to school for dance, if you go to school for any kind of artistic endeavor, the odds are you are in for a lifetime of financial hardship. If you choose to stay in that profession of all our contemporaries that we went to school with almost all of them outside of a select few that made it like the people like Annie Clark, shout out to Annie Clark. She's listening. Say Vincent, Uh, Eric Andre. He went, he went to school with us for a minute, right? He certainly did. Yeah. We have, we have some friends that made it. We have some, you know, I know people like Jay who have been very successful on the business side. That's great. But most of, the people we know have either had to a go back to school to get a skill that was more lucrative or b succumb to the lifestyle of the struggling musician where they play weddings on the weekends they scrounge around for work and a lot of them are 40 years old 45 years old and still have roommates i'm not saying that's a bad thing in fact those are some of the people i have the most respect for in all of society honestly i call them lifers no pun intended my last name happens to be lifer those people who decide I want to be a musician. I play music. This is what I do. I don't do anything else. I don't care if I have to live with a roommate till I'm 50 years old. I don't care if I won't be able to buy high end sushi ever in my life. This is what I do. That's great. The point is that there is an inequality that exists between people who go to art school, like Jay and I did, and some of my other friends from high school that went to med school, for instance. My friends who became doctors have consistently made more money than me. And that is not an inequity. That is simply just an inequ- inequality that's due to life choice. Now, there's probably some Bernie bros listening to this who are thinking, wait a second, maybe musicians should make as much as doctors. But you know, no serious person is actually suggesting that because doctors are more important than musicians. Sorry to say.
0: So when you mention wokeness, my thoughts immediately go to a recent episode of Ben Shapiro's podcast that I heard the people of the right that are listening to this podcast are all cheering me right now. So here we go. He compared the woke agenda to that of a religion worshipped by the far left. Uh, He goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, that the religion of wokeness has catechisms because it has things you're supposed to just listen to and repeat no matter what, whether or not you understand them or mean them. And if you don't, it means you're, you're a sinner, that you're bad. The code of conduct changes from day to day, but you have a group of woke priests that serve as woke intermediaries that you're they're they're always willing to absolve you of sin as long as you, you know, again, listen and do everything they say. It has sacrificial rites. If people don't mouth the proper catechism, they are immediately destroyed, hence cancel culture and there's no forgiveness. It has public atonement rituals where again, you have to come out and make apologies for anodyne things and just say whatever they want you to say. You have to listen and repeat their phrases no matter what or you'll be punished. Now, it's an apt analogy having just witnessed in the past week two newspaper editors resigning the New York Times editorial page editor after printing an op-ed that I don't like the subject of, but he obviously didn't write it. Um, It was an op-ed. It was an opinion piece. The Philadelphia Inquirer's top editor for referencing the damage done in the riots. That's an apparent no-no. And Sacramento Kings announcer Grant Napier was fired and called a closet racist after tweeting, which is the current third rail of social media at the moment, all lives matter. There's a great deal more of these types of cancel culture knee-jerking. And I get why Ben Shapiro made this analogy. It's, it's very apt with what's going on in our culture on a daily basis. That's not even to mention the amount of virtue signaling happening. and Another knee-jerk reaction that I doubt will bear any fruit, and it's not anything anyone asked for, obviously apart from your entire social feed being one large bat sign of virtue. I mean, mine is non-stop people just apologizing. We had white people washing the feet of black pastors in North Carolina. And we had House Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi, kneeling, wearing kente cloths, which are apparently Gandhian striped textiles. So there's no end to the cancel culture that's going on. There's no end to the virtue signaling. There's no end to the woke culture, as you said, Riz, eating itself. It, it It is just, it's unbelievable. And I don't even know where we go from here. First, I will say, before we get to anything about what you just said, saying
2: all lives matter is stupid and you shouldn't do it. Okay. so while I don't think it's necessarily indicative of broader racism it's just something that's stupid and it misses the point i think it intentionally misses the point and it's become sort of a right-wing uh trigger the way to trigger the libs you know it's like i own the libs by saying all lives matter and
0: it's just dumb so just don't say that there's been a ton of great instagram cartoons that that sort of lay out why you shouldn't say this and i'm not saying you should say it but i am saying you should not be fired from your job for saying it period Hundred da-
2: percent. We both agree. Down with cancel culture. If you make a mistake, you can apologize for it, but you should not lose your job, and you certainly should not be shamed in, in in a public hanging, which is basically what what happens now on Twitter or on social media. This has actually been one of the terrible byproducts of social media is just the public shaming of people that say something wrong. Secondly, in relation to what you said about the Ben Shapiro thing, that's actually very interesting because I have thought for a while about how in the absence of real religion, because real religious devotion has been on a decline for a number of years now, maybe this sort of far left wokeism is a religion. And so when you sort of laid all that out, I hadn't heard that and and that really, (laughs) that made me think it is sort of like a religion. There's even sort of public atonement rituals as we will get to actually later when we play some clips. Moving on, I think you know some of you might be saying, well, what's the point? Why is all this wokeism such a big problem? And why is blaming every inequality in life on some kind of inequity so bad? Well, the reason it's bad is because it draws attention away from the real inequities that do exist in our society. And there are absolutely real inequities. So I want to have a little discussion now with Jay about the inequities that actually do exist. And we're going to do it You know, in regard to the black community, that's what's on everyone's mind now. Those are the inequities
0: that I believe are the most apparent. Let's just say, though, real quick at the top of this, everyone's sort of saying the same thing. You and I are not black men. We do not understand what it is to walk in those shoes. I don't like that I have to say that, you know, because it should be a given. Obviously, we are speaking. These are our opinions. They're not our experiences. But this is a political show. And we want to be able to talk on these things without getting canceled. So there I said it.
2: That's that's a great point to make. Again, if you are a cancel culture, you should rethink it and you should not cancel us. Instead, you should go give us five stars right now. Oh, we'll get to that later.
0: Gotta subscribe, gotta subscribe.
2: The inequities that do exist in the black community, which to me include inadequate access to high quality education, uh, limited access to capital that can be used to, you know, form one's own businesses. And of course, a justice system that has historically uh, come down harder on black men, especially, than it does on white men. There is just no denying that. There are black men in prison right now that are there for low-level marijuana crimes, marijuana possession, that white people just don't do jail time for. That's, That's just the reality. The war on drugs has been an absolute disaster for the black community. It has left so many little black kids without fathers, These are real inequities. They're societal inequities. And they have existed for hundreds of years. They go all the way back to, I mean, even if you look at Jim Crow and when a lot of the Black community came up north by government policy, they were a lot of the Black communities were sort of sanctioned off into little places within urban areas that by and large still exist to this day. There are exceptions, of course, but by and large, a lot of these communities still exist. And to me, as a liberal, that is absolutely directly due to societal inequities that absolutely do exist.
0: I agree with you that there are societal inequities. I think it's a good way to put it. There are societal and cultural inequities. However, when we start getting down to what people are now calling systematic racism, and maybe they don't understand the root of that word, they're talking about laws and government. And when I look at the laws and the government, black people are not under any different set of laws than white people or Asians or Hispanics. There's no difference in the written laws. So to me, that discrepancy in cultural and social racism, which I really do believe exists, and systematic racism inherent in the government, I just don't see the latter.
2: I don't necessarily agree because I think that the, there was systematic racism. Yes, was.
0: You brought up Jim Crow, and that is the last time that, that systematic racism existed. It was inherent in the law.
2: Yes, but it's very hard to determine when the after effects of that stopped. For instance, we're still debating whether slavery is having an effect to this day. And I absolutely believe that it is not to the effect that Jim Crow is because Jim Crow happened more recently than slavery.
0: I agree with everything you've said so far. The bottom line for me
2: is that these inequities have been systematic. They've come mostly
0: from government policy and they still do exist. Affirmative action was created and you can talk about its strengths and weaknesses, but it was created to give the black community a leg up not just to equal things, but to give them a leg up so that they have greater opportunity and they have access to these things. Now, I understand there are limitations on it and there are quotas, but it it was written into law. I mean, and, and once again, I'm not arguing with you that the systematic racism that was inherent in our society didn't have an effect on the cultural and social racism that now exists. My only point in saying that systematic racism doesn't exist in our laws now is that if we're going to go to fix it, it's not in changing the law. It's not in working with the government. It's in our society.
2: Affirmative action has helped. And, you know, it would be remiss to not mention that things have gotten better. You know, in the 1950s, there were very, very few African-American doctors and lawyers and businessmen and politicians, and now you have plenty of them. My doctor is Black, actually, one of my doctors, at least. That has been better. I don't. I wouldn't say that that's just necessarily due to affirmative action, but it, it certainly has played a role. The way I look at that is that programs that have helped the African-American community to get an even footing, so to speak, with the white community have been essentially Band-Aids over cancer. In other words, the cancer still exists. And here, we're going to throw a Band-Aid on it and hope that this helps. But it hasn't corrected the structural problems that still exist. The fact that these communities still exist from the Jim Crow era is evidence of that. It has not actually corrected those problems. It has just been a temporary fix for those problems.
0: I completely agree with you. I just don't think that the fix is in governing. Uh, again, you know, being on the right, I don't believe that the government should have that kind of control or power, that they can fix something as rampant as racism. I think that has to come from society and culture. And by the way, this may write itself as the generations wear on. Like my grandfather, right? He would say things that were racist, not even understanding that they, they were racist. They were just culturally inherent in the time he was raised. And those things lessen and lessen and lessen with each generation. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. We had mentioned before the idea that the Jews are not on the
2: inequity hierarchy list. And you had mentioned, they, they after the Holocaust, came to America with the clothes on their back, and that's it. And they became very wealthy. Now they run all of entertainment, apparently. There you go. Yeah, and media, and banking. You know. And diamonds. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna get into all of that in our episode on conspiracy theories that's that's coming down the road for you guys but anyway what i was going to say is that there's one big difference between jews and black people jews don't wear their jewelry on their face they have white skin okay and i think to ignore that fact some people might disagree with you there you go well maybe maybe but generally it is. It was much easier for Jews to assimilate into American white culture than it was for Black people. There were no laws that were putting, or maybe there were laws that were putting Jews in certain areas. But at the end of the day, there the, the Jewish population is able to assimilate because they don't have a physical characteristic that makes
0: it harder for them. I don't even think they wanted to assimilate. My, you know, our mothers were very happy living in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And, and you know,
2: again. I think we have to acknowledge sort of the white privilege that exists. You might not call it systematic racism. You might say, well, it's not inherent in the laws. But like we said last week, I think it's really important to be empathetic enough to acknowledge the privilege that you have when you're white. Absolutely. For instance, I am a white Jewish boy from Long Island, okay? What that means, the privilege that that comes along with is that no matter how much I mess up in life, as long as I stay out of jail, no matter how much I mess up in life, no matter how dire a financial situation I'm in, I will
0: always have a roof over my head and I'll always have food to eat. As we learned last week, even if you do end up in jail, as I did, your privilege will circumvent that as mine did. There you go. That's white privilege right there. All of these things play into
2: the overall inequities. And I just think it's really hard to deny that. But, you know, this podcast is a solution-based podcast. So we want to try to talk these things out and come to solutions. I want to talk about the solutions for these inequities that I believe actually do exist. Solutions for real inequities. And this would be a great time to bring back our two things could be true at once model.
3: True
2: True thing number one, Democrats have been very, very good at drawing attention to the inequities in our society that do exist in minority communities, especially. They are very good at recognizing the problem. They're very good, the Democrats, at starting sort of a national conversation and making people aware. And awareness is power. Awareness is good. We want to be aware. The Democrats have done a fantastic job at that. True thing number two, the Democratic Party, just like the GOP, has absolutely failed to actually fix the problems via any kind of meaningful public policy. So let's talk about for a second of what isn't the solution. For these inequities. Okay, well, I'll tell you one thing that right off the bat is not the, the solution. And that's Bernie Sanders sort of brand of socialism. You know, uh, I'm Bernie Sanders. And, uh, I believe that, uh, there should not be a uh, rich people or poor people in the world. And therefore, uh, I have a solution for that because we should all sort of be sort of moderately poor. And, uh, I am just going to take the money from the rich people and I am going to give it to the poor people and uh problem solved. And I will go back to eating my egg salad sandwich on rye. And, uh, watching reruns of murder she wrote with uh, angela lansbury who is a very fine young lady uh, yeah no sorry bernie that's not gonna cut it okay well first of all sidebar don't you feel every time you look at bernie sanders that his favorite sandwich is a egg salad sandwich on rye
0: undoubtedly an egg salad sandwich on rye can i also add that was a great impression and you can only do that because you're jewish <laughs>
2: <laughs> very, very true. Yes. Bernie Sanders. It, it's, what's the
0: Yiddish word for him? Altakaka. Altakaka. Well, Altakaka. I thought altakakas were sort of like... Elderly person prone to complaint or disruption. Okay. So what's a curmudgeon? As in, in foggy curmudgeon, or old fart. It's a synonym. Okay. Okay. But curmudgeon's not, not
2: Yiddish. No. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Getting back to it. Uh, Bernie Sanders' brand of socialism is not the answer here. Reallocating other people's money is, again, a Band-Aid over cancer at the very best and actually more damaging at worse.
0: Well, you talk about government programs that don't work. How's this any different? It's allowing people to get used to money they didn't earn.
2: Yeah. And that goes sort of goes back to the woke left. You know, the woke left again sees every inequality as an inequity. And the solution often to to repairing these inequities is throwing money at it. So we need to take money from people who have money, give that to the people who don't have money. Fixes the problem.
0: No more government spending. Read my lips. <laughs> right.
2: um, you know, or you know, we have a discussion right now. We're having a discussion about reparations. I'm actually not completely opposed to reparations. Believe it or not. I, and we could go into that on another podcast. What I will say re- about reparations is it's a temporary thing. It's not a permanent fix. Again, it doesn't address the structural inequities that exist. Number two thing that doesn't work, we're going to bring it all the way back now to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, is white wokeness and pandering to communities of color.
0: My Instagram feed isn't going to help this problem be solved. It's
2: not going to help at all, Jay. And the more you post Instagram posts of you bowing and begging for forgiveness, actually... Not only is that not going to help, I think it's actually going to make matters worse. So don't do that. Just don't do it. This sort of public atonement, like we talked about the religion of wokeism, the Ben Shapiro thing. There are public atonement rituals that are happening. Now, I I want to first preface by saying, again, what I said last week, getting down on the knee in solidarity is good. Showing empathy is good saying, I want to hear your complaints. I want to hear your story. I want to try to figure out a way to fix this is good. Not good is getting down on your knees and apologizing when you didn't do anything that you actually directly need to apologize for. I have white privilege, but that's not my fault. That's not something that I feel I need to apologize for. So we have this clip, that happened in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. For those people who don't know, Bethesda is a very, very wealthy, very liberal, mostly white suburb of Maryland. They were doing what I guess I would call a public atonement ritual, where they were all on the ground, on their hands and knees, with their eyes closed, praying in front of a African-American woman who was telling them what to repeat. As they repeated it, and it sounded like this: about racism, anti-blackness, or violence. About racism, anti-blackness, or violence. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible.
0: And do everything in my power to educate my
2: community. And do everything in my power to educate my community. I will love my black neighbors the same as my white ones. I will love my white. Okay, I'm sorry. The prayer of the white wolf. <laughs> that is not the solution. It's church, man. It is church. It is church. And I gotta tell you, I'm not African American. And as we as you mentioned before, as a white person, I don't want to pretend to be able to walk in their shoes. But I could tell you that if I was a black person, I would be both embarrassed by that kind of rhetoric and that kind of display. And I'd also I'd also feel that it was very condescending. That kind of thing is actually it increases racism. It's not something that is necessary. And I think it's also just something that is just blatantly insulting to black people. It's just, I wouldn't want to do that. It's what what you were saying before about the people who were washing protesters' feet, the the old white people washing their feet.
0: Yeah, if this was in earnest, we would have been seeing this for years. I mean, this would be a constant thing if it was in earnest. Now everyone's sort of saying, oh, I need to do this too. And it doesn't really mean anything. It's hollow. So not the solution, okay? Moving on. The next thing we have is white entrepreneurs
2: stepping down from their companies and basically suggesting that an African-American should take their place in the company and that somehow this is going to solve the problem. We have a clip of Alex Ohanian, who, for those who don't know, is...
0: Is he the CEO of Reddit? He's the co-founder of Reddit and husband of Serena Williams. Right, he's the husband of Serena
2: Williams. By the way, there's some privilege there because let's just say he's probably pretty well off. Here's the co-founder of Reddit, Alex Ohanian, stepping down from Reddit.
3: 15 years ago, I co-founded Reddit as a place for people to find community and a sense of belonging. It is long overdue to do the right thing. I'm doing this for me, for my family, and for my country. I'm saying this as a father who needs to be able to answer his black daughter when she asks, what did you do? So I have resigned as a member of the Reddit board. I have urged them to fill my seat with a black candidate and I will use future gains on my Reddit stock to serve the black community, chiefly to curb racial hate And I'm starting with a pledge of $1 million to Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp. I believe resignation can actually be an act of leadership from people in power right now. And to everyone fighting to fix our broken nation, do not stop. So he's calling
0: for all white people to resign from places of uh, influence? Well, okay. So here's, here's the thing. First
2: of all, the $1 million donation, no problem with it. That's great. If you have the means to do that, if you're giving to a good cause, I think Kaepernick's cause is great do it. Good. That's the best part of that thing. The thing that is absolutely asinine is this idea that he's stepping down and that that is going to somehow help. This is virtue signaling of the very highest order. It is him saying, look at how woke I am. When again, you're the husband of Serena Williams. You know what? It would be courageous for you to keep your job at Reddit And, you know, maybe commit to different hiring practices, maybe, but to step down and, and pledge that you're going to, that your position is going to be filled with an African-American and that somehow that's going to help again, condescending bullshit virtue signaling that does nothing to further the conversation. I own a business. My wife owns a business. We don't have the means to step down from our business because we're so virtuous.
0: Like, no, sorry. It's just, It's just dumb. It's just plain dumb. Okay. And change happens from the inside. And I understand that, you know, he thinks that a black man can make that change better than he can. I don't buy that at all. I think he can make just as big of a difference as a black man on the inside of that company by doing something with his position instead of giving it up.
2: And this is sort of an example of the the woke eating the woke. It will never be enough, Jay. It will never be enough because in a couple months from now when there's some kind of discrimination that happens in the lgbtq community then it's going to be you have to step down and let a gay person come take your job so we it will never go far enough it will you, when you when you get wrapped up in this level of wokeness no matter how woke you go it's not going to be enough so a perfect example of that and one more clip that i want to play here is mayor bill de blasio Now, Bill de Blasio is the mayor of New York. For those who don't know, he's probably the worst mayor in America. He has some of the the lowest approval numbers, especially people who work for the government in New York. The cops just hate him. Bill de Blasio is definitely, without question, the wokest mayor in the country. He has given full speeches, apologizing for his whiteness and his white privilege. He's just a super, super woke guy. He spent a lot of time talking about how bad the NYPD is and how racist they are. And that's part of the reason they hate him. He is as woke as you could possibly get, but apparently it's not enough. So the people he has been pandering to for the last however many years, invited him, I guess, to a rally. I have a feeling that it was just the leaders of the rally that invited him because this is what it sounded like when he was introduced.
3: Let's welcome, with respect, the mayor of New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio. First Lady Chagrae McRae, again, 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 we said respect.
2: Some leader. See, the problem is we said respect, but nobody respects you. The woke people don't respect you because you're not woke enough for them. And all the people you've been pandering to to show how woke you are, they don't respect you either. And a lot of a lot of them don't respect you because you have failed to give guidance to your own police department which has been just generally confused about what they're supposed to do. They have no guidance from you. And I've heard this from several uh, NYPD police officers. So it's a, that's a perfect example of how wokeness eats itself, just like leftism hit, eats itself.
0: I have two quotes that uh, I want to read about that. And one of them, you know, is about what happened in Congress with Nancy Pelosi and and the House Democrats kneeling wearing the Kenty cloth. And honestly, I mean, even before I get into the quote, It really camouflaged what they're trying to do, which they, no one reported on the fact that they brought a bill forth, which has some merits in it, but now no one's talking about the merits. They're just talking about the things that they were wearing. So Charles Robinson, a reporter for Yahoo tweeted, standing in front of a church and holding up a Bible you never read for a photo op is no different than kneeling in a kente cloth you never wear for a photo op. Now, I'm not a fan of either thing, but that's calling a spade a spade. I love it. And Hollywood screenwriter Eric Haywood tweeted, What if they just passed some laws instead of dressing up like a Wakandan chess set? Which is funny, but I totally understand what he's saying. They need to be focused on trying to make changes and speaking out in public about what's going on instead of virtue signaling and, and all this.
2: I think we've determined at this point that wokeness is not the answer to this problem. It is not going to help anyone in the Black community. And by the way, uh if you dislike Trump as much as I do you really should cut this stuff out because you know there isn't anyone in the world who hasn't made up their mind at this point about Trump everyone feels the way they feel there's nobody sitting around who's like ah I still don't know what I feel about that guy everyone has an opinion about Trump but there are people who can't stand Trump and are watching the Kenty cloth pandering stuff and thinking uh I can't stand Trump but it's better than this right you know, so we want we don't want that. We need those people to vote against Trump. So stop doing this craziness and let's all get on the same page here and get Trump the hell out of office, hopefully in handcuffs. But I think we should wrap this up by hearing something that your very own President Barack Obama had to say about the subject.
3: You know, this this idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff. I, you should get over that quickly. <laughs> the, world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. There is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word, wrong verb or then i can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because man you see how woke i was i called you out <laughs> that's not activism that, that's not bringing about change
2: all right barack obama if you're woke you should get over that okay that's the quote of the year for me okay if you're one of these uh, uh, one of the woke leftists that are listening to this right now write down that quote from barack obama and read it to yourself in the mirror every day, because not only are you not doing anything to further the cause, you are making it worse. So let's move on and talk about for a second what the solution actually is. Okay. Cause we've talked what the solution. Isn't
0: you want a drum roll? I don't want a drum roll.
2: And I'll tell you why I don't want a drum roll. I don't want a drum roll because I'm about to say something that a lot of my lefty friends are going to find very controversial. Okay. And so I want my controversial music, Jay, here is the solution to all of the inequities that currently exist in minority communities and communities of color. Ready? Capitalism. I said it, I said it, okay? I know a lot of you are saying capitalism, but that exploits people. No, capitalism is not racist. There is nothing about profiting off of something you build on your own that is racist. Absolutely nothing. Here, however, is what is racist, keeping minority communities enslaved to government dependency for generations so that they never have an opportunity to engage in that capitalist system and have ownership. That is racist.
0: It's really about the government butting out and having less government spending, as you know. both of us can agree on a lot of the time, that these programs are not helping. They are hurting. So the solution access to high quality education,
2: access to healthcare, access to capital, to invest in their own businesses so that they can acquire wealth and finally move forward and move out of this place. And we can finally get to a point where this problem doesn't keep rearing its ugly head, where every few years, there's just an uproar of anger, rightful anger, over the fact that there are these systemic inequities that exist. Now, neither Justin and I are policy wonks. So we're not going to sit here and and talk about specific policies that need to be enacted. That's for politicians to figure out, okay? But what I do want to say is that we want to encourage people, whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, to keep all of this stuff in mind and vote for people that vote for politicians that have a specific plan to address these issues, not just ones that simply pander and get down on their knees with historical cloths on their, on their shoulders and ones that remove themselves from their places of employment to show how cool and how woke they are. Use this opportunity to say, I am going to vote for people that actually have specific policy agendas to finally ameliorate this issue and move everyone forward so that we can all live in a more harmonious society where this problem isn't just a constant.
0: Absolutely. And it's not unlike what Officer Ed said in our interview with him uh, last week. In order to create that change, it's something you hear all the time. You have to vote for people that have your interests at heart, not special interests at heart. So here's we're going to break for our very first ad. Our first ad. And we don't have actual sponsors yet. So in the meantime, we've decided we're going to fill these spots with things that we like that we think you'll like, too.
2: I want to say on that subject, if you haven't already, you should go to wherever you get your podcast. You should give us five stars. You should give us a good review. You should keep downloading our episodes because the more you do that, the more we actually will get advertisers who are interested in us and guess what when advertisers come in so does money and money despite what all of your bernie bro friends tell you is actually a good thing isn't it jay
0: i think you should say it again but in bernie voice money is uh uh the root of all evil and i happen to have three houses but despite that i think it's uh it's uh it's
2: it it will be pretty good for uh rob and justin i think you should uh definitely uh donate to uh to the, the, the Down the Middle podcast and all of their uh, various causes. They are very good uh, Jewish young men. Thank you.
0: So being that both Riz and I are musicians, we are very picky about what we listen to. We have a friend that we've both known for a very long time that is an incredible singer-songwriter. Mark M. Cogman is his name, and he has a new album out on his Last Three Punks record label called Dead Messengers. Now, I was involved with the making of this album, admittedly, but even with my bias, I am telling you that you need to hear this album. The songs are incredibly well-crafted and easy to digest. And his lyrics are insightful, deep, and so poetic. And I love the timbre of his voice and how he utilizes it.
2: Mark M. Cogman is one of my best friends. Shout out if he's listening today. I think he's one of the greatest singer-songwriters in the world. He's definitely one of the best lyricists in the world. There's no doubt about that. The reason you don't know about him if you don't is honestly because the world is stupid. The world rewards stupidity nowadays. So if you don't want to be stupid anymore, and you want to get some high quality entertainment where you're gonna be both entertained and intellectually stimulated, pick up Mark M. Cogman's new record. It's called Dead Messengers. He also has other records. He actually, and this record is on vinyl too, right, Jay? That's right. I have the vinyl and so do you. I do, and I believe Mark M. Cogman, if you order it, will actually send it to you. Mark has always sort of uh, abided by the idea that if you can afford to buy his record, you should. If you can't, you feel free to stream it for free. I believe it's available on uh, Apple Music and Spotify or wherever you stream your music.
0: Support Mark M. Cogman. He's a great artist, and uh, I'm glad we didn't add for him. You heard it. Defeat stupidity. Listen to Mark M. Cogman. Check out Dead Messengers and the rest of Mark M. Cogman's catalog wherever you listen to music and at markmcogman.com. And follow Mark on social media at at Mark M. Cogman. Welcome back.
2: So we are here with Kat Braithwaite who is the singer in an LA based band called
0: Old Blood. Happy to have you here, Kat.
1: Hey, happy to be here, rock on.
0: Awesome, Kat, thank you for being here. We so appreciate it. Uh, with everything that's going on, you know, we're really excited to get into these questions with you. So with that being said, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what your experience is, if any, with politics?
1: Um, Background-wise, you know, I was born bread and butter just outside of Seattle, um, on the east side. Uh, It was a fairly suburban area. Um, You know, my mom went to high school with Jimi Hendrix, which was really cool. But, uh, (laughs) you know, nothing really strange or extraordinary other than the fact that I was one of, at the most, five Black people in any school I ever went to growing up until I moved to New York and went to NYU. So it was a kind of uh, unique upbringing, but uh, there were no giant speed bumps or volcanoes about it. With politics, I started to get a little bit involved. You know, I like to chime in in the uh, protests here and there when they would pop up when I was in high school. I was really big in the movement to change our high school mascot from the Issaquah Indians to something a little less, as people were telling me, inaccurate. Other than that, you know, I've just been kind of, I keep my politics generally to myself.
0: What political party do you align yourself with if you do align yourself with a political party?
1: I am a registered nonpartisan. However, I generally tend to end up in the democratic box. Um, Sometimes people who tend to lean more libertarian speak my language. I'm a Bernie girl. There's a lot of things about socialism that have played a great part in our nation's creation. Like, Public libraries, public schools. Some would say the police department, um, the fire department. Like, these things are socialist ideas. And I did vote for Rudy Giuliani (laughs) once. That was very early on in his... I think that was the first time he was the mayor.
0: Yeah, before he turned into like a vampire bat. Getting into sort of the more topical questions and what we're going to be talking about today. In a few sentences, can you tell us what the Black Lives Matter movement means to you and your thoughts on the events of
1: the past few weeks? Wow. Well, the BLM movement, to me, when it first started showing up, I was like, okay, yeah, somebody's saying this, somebody's standing up for this. Now it's become an organization to me. And when it comes to actually resolving the issues of racism and prejudice in this country, this is something we got to talk to ourselves about. We got to talk to our families. We got to talk to our communities. An organization isn't necessarily going to be the answer because they're not going to be the ones who are out in the world doing witnessing on, you know, in the moment. If I see somebody doing something outright racist, that's when it's time to call them on it. You know, I'm not going to wave a flag. There's there's conflict there. I, I totally support it. I totally support the fact that people are finally like, oh, yeah, duh. There's a lot of people that don't realize this. What what are your
0: thoughts on the protests and the rioting and sort of all of that? I I mentioned it all
1: together. They're sort of separate things. Oh, they're completely separate things. I mean, the protests, again, cool. But at the same time, this is waving a flag. This is saying, I support it. I support it. Okay, if you support it, what's going to happen later? Like after the riots in Santa Monica, Like, I'm sitting here at home, two miles away, watching on the news these places where I used to work, getting smashed up for no good reason by a lot of dark-shaded people. These are the people that apparently were supposedly fighting for. Clearly, they were not part of the actual argument. They were opportunists my personal uh conspiracy theorist starts to like perk up and think oh who sent them
2: over the last couple weeks we've seen a lot of this sort of over the top gesturing you know from the what i what we are referring to as the woke white crowd you know this apologizing profusely this virtue signaling it that hollywood is doing it uh the media is doing it of course and Any white person, you know, especially ones that are like under 30 are doing it for sure. Um, So so the question is, you know, what's your opinion on this trend? Do you, does it make you feel uncomfortable? And do you think it helps the situation at all?
1: The Kente cloth thing, I was like, it was a beautiful picture. It was a beautiful image. But at the same time, it feels like pandering and it feels like, come on, just do the work do the work instead of yes instead of just showing up and saying look we know how to show how it you know this looks like we support if you're out in the world and you see something go down say something if you're in a store and you see a shopkeeper following that black kid that walked in who probably has been told all of their lives make sure your hands are visible Don't touch anything you don't intend to buy. Make sure you make eye contact with the people in charge. Because that's the talk we're all given. We we don't come out of the house at, you know, 10, 11 years old without knowing that people are looking at you differently. And if you're out in the world and you're not experiencing being looked at differently and you see somebody looking at somebody differently, okay call the manager, call the CEO of the company, call your mayor, whatever. That's, you don't have to wave the banners. You don't have to wash feet. You don't have to scream. You don't have to march. You don't have to disrupt in that way. Disrupt, speak truth to power.
2: It's an interesting thing because in the sort of, I know you're getting tired of the word woke, but in the, I don't know <laughs> what else to call it. In this circle of sort of the I white wear. woke, the white, yeah, fine, but the the ultra aware white woke community, <laughs> the, everything is seen to them through the eyes of race, even if it's meant with pure intentions or with good intentions. So like even during the election cycle, when Kamala Harris, who's our state senator was up there, you heard a lot about she's our black candidate. And I just kept thinking like, I don't, I look at her and I don't even see a black person. I mean, I recognize that she's black, but it, it, to me, she's just an intelligent person that I don't see it through the lens of race. I see it through the lens of a politician who's a savvy politician who happens to be my state senator. I don't go to sleep at night and think and think, Kamala Harris, she's
0: a black person. Here's the issue right now, And the message that I'm getting from my Instagram feed is that that's wrong thinking, and I'm confused as to why. the whole message of I don't see color is now being is, is being asked to be retracted. And I don't, I don't really understand what's happening there.
1: That I don't think seeing color is the question. I think I'm not thinking of color in my consideration of her qualifications and some black people, a lot of black people are going to be like, okay, cool. We might have another one, you know, possibly in the running for something because we don't have a lot of representation. You know, I was kind of busted when she dropped out. Would you say that? instead
0: of saying that we don't see color or even see color in the qualifications, that it's more about seeing color and making sure that that representation exists?
1: Um, It's more about seeing color and not letting color color your decision.
2: I think we could both say there's not a lot of women in the metal community to begin with, but there's certainly not a lot of black women. So how did you find metal?
1: Well, I mean, metal came to me through two places classical music playing the playing the violin and orchestra and hearing metal and realizing how close they were and how much they connected and always wanting to play those guitar solos on the violin and driving my parents crazy because I sucked also from a friend who loaned me a copy of uh Kill 'em All on cassette when I was like 9 or 10 years old and no oh man shout out to Mike Alger he mess with my head and now I'm just in it.
2: The last question I have for you is that there are a lot of, there have been a lot of accusations of racism in metal for decades. It's, I mean, it's, it's been a pervasive thing. Um, As an African-American in a metal metal band, do you find this to be true at all? uh, Or do you find that the metal community has been generally very accepting of your place in the scene?
1: I mean, I feel like metal in general, most of us are kind of outcasts. Those of us who were really into it when we were young, we were kind of those guys that sat at home all the time practicing something to get really good at it. Dude, the metal scene here, so welcoming, so cool. I'm not the only black person in my band. Our bass player is black. like, And he's been in that band for six years prior to me even meeting the guys. But yeah, there's not a lot of women. Um, there's a lot more these days, a lot more. And it's really exciting. And there's a handful of black women in particular that are showing up in the metal scene. And it's really exciting to see that, but like, we're all out there. There's so many different people in the metal scene. The LA metal community is one of the best families I could have landed in. It was always fun. It was always cool. And nobody, nobody said anything until I was on stage and I was doing shows and I would come off with this band and I would hear people like well there was one time I stepped right off stage and somebody was like so this is a really interesting band what do you think about doing R&B or jazz or blues really and it's usually not metal fans that have that disconnect
0: all right here we go speed round all right it's a speed round if this the speed limit was like 25 miles per hour. It's a speed round in a school zone.
1: <laughs> okay, nice, nice.
0: So question number one, and we can discuss. Favorite metal band of all time?
1: Metallica.
2: Metallica is probably one of my favorite influences, one of my biggest influences as a kid. Unfortunately, with Metallica, you, Hetfield is still awesome. I mean, he's still probably the best rhythm, metal guitar player in the world. Obviously, Robert Trujillo He's probably got to be one of the best metal bass players in the world.
0: Even before him, Jason was great. They just always had the volume
2: turned down.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: My problem with Metallica now is with Lars and Kirk Emmett. They both have just deteriorated so much. And again, I have to give them credit. They're still doing it and playing very hard music. Uh, kirk hammett just for whatever reason always sounds flat to me like he his guitar is out of tune he doesn't bend i don't there's just something weird
1: anytime i've seen a live performance i'm kind of like did he did he grab the out of tune guitar or? Yeah, yeah he which- was
2: so much better when i was a kid and it's not just that i i my musical sense has gotten more mature he was objectively
0: better it's the same with lars lars has gotten so bad. It's like both of them, just they miss every other note or every, you know, five notes or something. I hate to say it out loud, but I can't. It's it's the truth. But, you know, they were incredibly (laughs) influential to all of us, obviously, but it just, just didn't hold up. For me,
2: it's Pantera. Just because, to me, Pantera is as heavy as you can get before it starts getting silly to me. It goes into the realm of silly. Like, once you get into sort of the death metal stuff, it loses me pantera has just enough melody with enough of the angst and rage and screaming that it's still very musical but it's as heavy as heavy music gets and i don't think there's any band that ever did it better. honestly
0: i hate to agree with you riz because i i I so often do but i'm gonna agree here i'm gonna say my runner up though just for conversation's sake white zombie nice one all right so our next not so speed round question best metal singer to ever live
1: Oh, it depends on what you consider to be metal. But I'd have to say, oh, Chris Cornell,
0: man, you can't argue with that.
2: He's not just the best metal singer. I think he's probably in the conversation, the best rock and roll singer to ever live. For me, again, and I think I could speak for Jay again here, because I've known him long enough. If, If again, it goes back to what we consider metal. But if you're talking about classic metal, especially in the 80s, To me, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row has the craziest, most technically, uh, at least in his heyday, the most technically amazing rock and roll voice ever.
0: He's incredible. And, And Riz and I have gone through great lengths to see him live. We drove to New York to see him in Jekyll and Hyde. Like We've done crazy things to see this dude sing in different places. And every single thing he does is extraordinary. But then,
2: in terms of like the best for me, the best straight up metal singer in what is considered metal today, I have to I have to go with, with Phil on
0: because his voice is just he can do it all. His scream is amazing. His singing voice is amazing. He does it. He's the most versatile metal singer. I concur. All right, third question. In like I'm not even calling it a speed round. This is just a round.
1: <laughs> Pilates or yoga? Pilates, dude. I. I want to do yoga. I want to have that, you know. I'm I'm a fitness person. I like to be strong. I have zero patience for yoga. I don't know why. And I I will meditate from you know, set up to sundown if you give me the opportunity. But yoga, for some reason, I just have zero patience for, and I'm sorry to everyone who loves it.
2: So, uh, favorite ice cream flavor?
1: I'm non dairy, but. If I'm having a frozen dessert in that realm, I would probably go vanilla because then I can add anything else I want to it to make it whatever I want it to be. I usually like to add like maple syrup and chili.
2: Two more and then we're done. Stones or the Beatles? Beatles. Me too. All right, good. We're all agreed. I I think I know what you're going to say to this, but Megadeth or Metallica?
1: The Mighty Met. (laughs) I mean...
2: See, I I would definitely say at th- there was a point in my life I would have said Metallica. Now I would say Megadeth because you have to give it to Mustaine for being for keeping not his chops up. His chops are great too, but the band his band
0: has always been awesome. He never he's never had the Metallica thing. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. We appreciate your insight. Please plug anything that you have coming up. Tell us where to find you on social. All that yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, the band is called Old Blood, and there's a few of. Those out there. So we are Old Blood. If you pop in Old Blood and then Los Angeles, you'll definitely find us. Um, but Old Blood Group is where we tend to tag ourselves in all the socials. Our website is oldbloodgroup.com. And we've got a new album coming out August 28th, uh, the day after my birthday. Um, it's called Acid Doom, and it is amazing. And I'm so excited for this. We just released this the first uh single which is called Vain Scraper. You can find this on uh, our website and also metalsalt.com, which is our label, um, and all the uh, streaming services. And um, this band, I joined them a year ago, but we've got this album coming out, and I'm really excited about it. Acid Doom kills. The first video is out also for Vain Scraper, so if you go to Old Blood on YouTube, you can find that there as well thank you so much Kat, for being here we really appreciate it rock on
0: all right well that about wraps it up for episode five thanks for being with us make sure to go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us if you send us questions yes we will answer them on air follow us on social media at down the middle podcast on instagram at down the middle pc on twitter and at down the middle pod on facebook And if that's too confusing for you, just go to downthemiddlepod.com. They're all on there. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can also follow me at Justin Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, on Twitter and Instagram. Rob, where can we follow you? You can follow me at at Rob Leifer. You could also request my friendship on Facebook.
2: So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as woke as Jay, so I'm not an uh, Instagram aficionado. I pretty much still use Facebook, even though I can't stand Mark Zuckerberg. But That's a conversation for another day. Uh, I'm Rob Leifer at Facebook. If you could find me, I think there's several Rob Leifers, Rob Leifers, but
0: I am the best looking one. You're the one that looks like you. Riz is a great follow on Facebook, so take take that opportunity. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Have a good night. This is us signing off. Thank you, guys. Have a good week, too.